morning, Mary Methodist. Today, we'll be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they could continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, I want to I pray for Pastor Mike and uh, that you speak through him and what, what, what you speak through him that it just pierces our hearts, God. And uh, we listen to it and we apply it to our lives and we in, so that others may see that you're working through us and can see the uh, fruit of our labor and uh, the spiritual fruit that you may lay upon us, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Hey, did you hear what you heard on the announcements? 7,000 juice boxes came in the door here this past Monday night. What a blessing for Fly. What a blessing for the students and kids in our community uh, that really need a little bit of help and for you to provide them part of their lunch, a fun part of their lunch. Uh, I really am grateful to you and, and praise the Lord for you. So my preaching professor, Ronnie Sleeth, used to tell us when a good preacher gets up to proclaim the word of God, they should have, first, an arresting opening. You got to catch the people's attention. So let me catch your attention today. Here's the announcement you want to have here. We're going to come to live worship in our sanctuary on August 23rd. We're going to worship at 815 and 1015, as has been our practice here in the sanctuary. Now, during those times, we're going to expect you to have uh, social distancing, physical distancing, best you can. We're going to ask you to wear masks. We're going to strongly encourage you to wear masks. There will be many other details sent to you uh, during the next week or shown to you uh, via our worship services. We're also going to continue as a church online. So even though, as we have in the past, uh, broadcast our services, we will continue. Now, there is one big difference to our online servicing when we come back into the church, and that is that we will be showing both services, both the 815 service and the 1015 service live uh, through our various portals. More information on that. So, Ron Sleeth says, if you're going to preach a good sermon, have an arresting beginning, have a fantastic, uh, robust conclusion, and if we do and here's my conclusion here's my conclusion get ready here's the conclusion of the sermon if we do this marian methodist is the hope for the world so you need to have those two things an arresting beginning a robust conclusion and as ron sleeth would always say the wisdom to keep them as close together as possible so let's see how i do you ready is marian methodist pursuing the purpose for which the church was born Acts chapter 2, that now we've spent our third week, so we've read the entire chapter, succinctly describes the mission and purpose of the local church. It starts with us asking the question, are we devoted to the mission of the Lord's church and to the purpose of that Lord's church? I'm just going to use five 
pretty rapid-fire questions, and then go to the aforementioned conclusions that Marian Methodist is the hope of the world if we do these things. So here we go. Number one, are we devoted to the apostles' teaching? Now, devotion means are we focused on it? Are we really focused on our apostles' teaching? Are we learning in our daily lives, in our Sunday school, in our, in our Wednesday classes, are we learning how Jesus fulfilled not some of the Old Testament prophecies, but every Old Testament prophecy and finding that he truly is the Messiah of the world. Are we really learning that? Are we understanding what Zephaniah, Zech, Zechariah said? Do we understand what Micah said? Do we understand what Isaiah said about the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah of the world? We really need to dig into those. These are what the apostles would have been teaching the disciples there in Jerusalem, that, that thousands were added in one day, and day by day more were adding. Are we uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching? Are we ex embracing the experience of the Holy Spirit in the saving work of God in Jesus Christ? Do we really pray for the Holy Spirit? Are we seeking to engage in the Holy Spirit? Now, can you imagine these disciples there in Jerusalem in the few days? Now, the scripture David read is a few days after Pentecost. Can you imagine the variety of experiences they had that they needed to unpack with the Holy Spirit? They surely sat and taught and said, this is how I felt when the Spirit came over me and I began to speak in a language I didn't know, but I knew I was sharing God's word. This is what others heard and this is what I heard Peter doing and this is what I heard others doing and, and this is what we saw. Not only did we see the tongues of fire and the rushing wind and the ability to speak, we saw mass conversions that day from people that never ever thought they would want to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Messiah, come to believe that he is. And we need, when we're devoted and embracing the Holy Spirit, to understand how that same Spirit, that very same Spirit, is here in Marion and our surrounding area, doing the very same work if we ask it of him today. Are we, in our devotion to the apostles' teaching, are we seeking to understand the mystery and truth of the faith? Don't miss this. You've heard this expression many times. The mystery and the truth of the faith is Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, which is to say, Christ was, Christ is, Christ shall be forever. Devotion to the apostles' teaching means we're committed to moving along what we here call the discipleship pathway. See, when we constructed that a number of years ago, we wanted to call it a pathway, not a parking lot. It's a path. On a path, you don't just pitch a tent. You don't pitch a tent in the middle of the, the, tent, the path and stay there. No, you do that in a lot somewhere. But in a path, you keep moving. The Christians early on, in, even in the later part of Acts, the books that we're going to be working on for the next handful of weeks, is called The Way which means it's a movement. It's not a standstill. So, so we are moving towards the goal, which is complete oneness in God. So that means if we're devoted to the apostles' teaching, we're moving down the pathway towards oneness with God. Number two, are we devoted to fellowship, the sharing of lives with one another? The fellowship in the early church, in the time that we're reading about, remember, people were no more simple then than they are now. They had less complicated lives, but they also had to wash their clothes in a stream, remember that, and actually cook their meet over a fire, not in a beep, 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 go. The fellowship in the early church meant that they shared deeply their lives. Deeply they shared their lives in common. Today, one of our greatest problems in our society, 
And of course, our church sometimes is influenced by the society. I always believe the church should influence the society, but oftentimes the society also influences the church. So that's what makes what I'm going to say, I think, important. Today we live in the era of greatest connectivity. You can talk to someone in a device you carry in your pocket. You can send texts. You can send emails. You can do. You can walk on, talk on Facebook. In the era of the greatest connected connectivity, the world is more connected today than it has ever been, and yet the proliferation of isolated people continues to explode. More people are isolated today in this world of connectivity than ever have been before. Before COVID even came along and we all kind of got sent to our corners, there was this exponential rate rise in, in our culture in America, United, United States, of depression and anxiety and medicinal therapies for the same, and they were needed because so many of our people are feeling so isolated and down and blue. One of our college students uh, was talking to me just a few weeks ago, of course, on the internet, uh, you know, via text, and he, and he said to me, Pastor Mike, I have no real friends. And what he was saying to me was, I don't have anybody to share my ups and downs with. I don't have anyone to share my heart of hearts with. I don't have anyone that we can be at one like brothers or brother and a sister in our living. We are so isolated in this time of disconnection. Matter of fact, I was on the internet uh, today, and 15 years ago, we had more friends than we do today. Some of us are more than 15 years old, so this is kind of terrifying. In 2005, the normal, whatever normal means, of course, uh, I know some of you and you know me, so normal, you know. The normal adult in America had eight to nine friends. In 2019, according to Pew Research, we have one to three friends that we call friends. And understand this, 40% of the people in the United States say their friends are not meaningful, which means they are not sharing fellowship. They are just people they kind of are with. And 20% of the people, so just for your information, almost 70 million people say they have zero friends. Friends, this is heartbreaking. There is a simple human truth at, at play here, that we have a lot to, sell, to share. We have much to share with each other, joys and celebrations and concerns and insights. And Christians are called to this. We're called to this in the very, very inauguration of the church, when, when the, the, the apostles are, are sharing all things in common and having this, this fellowship. We're told that Christians must be devoted to the sharing of our lives with others. Now, I get it. That has a high-risk factor to it, because when you're when you're sharing your life you are out there on the ice and you're not certain that you won't be betrayed i know that i understand that but we have to be out there sharing our lives and conversely we have to be giving the time and the effort and christian love to allow and to help others share theirs with us and that's a high risk factor too because sometimes they have to tell you things you are hard that are hard to go into your ears and sometimes they need more time and care than you feel competent in giving but if we're devoted to the fellowship if we're devoted to the fellowship, which is the church, we need to be able to, to give and, and take what people need and what we need as well. Third, are we devoted to the breaking of the bread? In the bread and juice, and at our outside service uh, today, we'll be sharing communion. In the bread and the juice, we must remember, we must absolutely remember the sacrificial death of Jesus as the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of our world. We cannot, as we put the bread and juice out, let it be just a motion that we go through or a line to stand in as we kind of wave and smile at our friends or some traditional ritual. And it can't be, it just can't be something we have to do because the pastor set it out on the first Sunday of the month. In my first church where I was the pastor myself, the lead pastor, there was this one fellow and I was standing at the back of the church and everyone was kind of in front of me. It was a minute or two before church and he walked in and he saw the communion elements up there on the worship table and he looked at me and he says, huh, it's communion. Guess I got dressed up for nothing today and turned away and walked away because he didn't want to be at the Lord's table. Now we understand, we need to understand that in the sacrament, in the giving and sharing of of the body and blood of Christ, this is the highest moment of Christian worship that we can experience. And and so rather than walk away or just stand in a line, we we understand that, that as the disciples encourage us to share in the breaking of the bread, we need to fully embrace the forgiveness that Christ gives us on the cross. Now there's another thing that's really clear in this scripture too that the breaking of bread means. It means that we are to literally share fellowship meals together, that we're supposed to eat with each other. The redeemed people belong to each other and encouraged, are encouraged to grow with each other. And in the hospitable act of eating together, you can become better friends than maybe you can in some other places because meals take time. Maybe, I don't know, because I wasn't around, you know, when John Wesley and those started all this, but maybe that's where the potluck come from. You know, for years and years, the Methodists were known as the potluck people, second only to the Baptists. But we need to extend that to, to maybe going to, to having a friend to, to go, go to your home with you. I mean, we eat every day. I mean, I, I eat two or three times a day. You can see that. But maybe we need to enjoy each other at a cafe. Maybe we need to, not maybe, I think we need to reach out to friends and members of the church that we don't know so well so that we can know them more fully. But it's a risk to say, hey, do you want to go to wherever with me so that we can come to know each other in Christ? Fourth, are we devoted to prayer? Prayer has a prominent place in the apostles' private and public life. The disciples prayed they prayed together and when they prayed together the spirit filled the church they weren't just spending a few moments in prayer they were praying they were throwing their entire spirit and soul on god and the spirit of god would fill the place and they prayed individually they prayed on their own time such as it was i don't know if they prayed you know back then people were early risers and late stair uppers too so maybe maybe thomas stayed up late and he liked to pray late and maybe maybe matthew got up early and liked to pray early i don't know but they devoted their lives to pray prayer and they were empowered and emboldened and strengthened by simply being in communion with God in prayer. Now understand this about the disciples so you don't get too discouraged. Sometimes when we talk about prayer, we get discouraged because of where we might be in our own personal life at this particular moment in time. These masters were once beginners. They learned how to pray. And they were no different than us, so you can learn too. Remember some of their first experiences in prayer. Jesus says, hey, stay up with me for a little while, and they all... And he comes back and says, stay up with me a little while more and pray, and again, sleep. Hey, guys, just step with me and pray. And, and they just ran out of gas because they really didn't know how to do it well. And another time, you know, when Jesus was teaching, they just really kind of cried out, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, well, okay, I'll give you a formula. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, and so on and, and so forth. So, so, so they were given Jesus as an example and a model, but still they weren't masters, honestly, of prayer 
until after the Lord had ascended into heaven. But then they devoted themselves to prayer. And you will too. When you learn how to pray, you, you'll be willing to, 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 to devote yourself to prayer. And we have people all along the continuum uh, on, on, on deep and rich persons that have learned to pray and are, are praying now because we know as we devote ourselves to pray, if we have no prayer, we have no power. And if we have more pow- prayer, we have more power. Not, not the power that allows us to take over the world, but the, the power that allows us to be faithful in our discipleship. Brother John Wesley, who, along with a band of others, started the Methodist movement, got up every day at 4 o'clock and prayed for four hours, from 4 to 8 in the morning. But let me tell you this, two things. He did not end where he began. I can believe he didn't start praying four hours a day when he was at the knee of his mother, Susanna, or even during his time at Christ Church College. But as his life went on, he realized, I can't get done what I need to get done for the Lord if I don't spend a lot of time in prayer. But he was a beginner that became a master. Your devotion in prayer will grow as you desire it more and more and as you get deeper and deeper into the, to, to, to the, uh, your relationship with God. And when we learn to pray, prayer will not be a preface or something we do briefly at the beginning of something. It will be the main thing that invites the Holy Spirit to empower us as disciples and the church. And are we devoted to giving to anyone who has need? That overwhelming outpouring of juice boxes is one of the great blessings we see there. And we have learned at Marian Methodist and are learning more every day that we give to bless others, not to get blessed ourselves. Because we understand this about the proclamation of the gospel. We will not propagate the gospel in this land if human needs are left unmet. It is impossible to listen to a sermon. It is impossible to listen to a Christian teaching if your stomach is roaring so bad you can't hear over the noise. So human needs trump spiritual needs. We are in a far second place if we're not caring for those human needs, which is why the disciples did that. And so if, if the body that is Marian Methodist will answer all five questions heartily, robustly in the firm in the affirmative are we devoted to the apostles teaching are we devoted to the fellowship the sharing of our lives with one another are we devoted to the breaking of bread are we devoted to prayer are we devoted to giving to anyone has has that has need if we do then marian methodist becomes the hope of the world if we do what we were born to be the lord will add to our number those who are being saved. If we are do what we are born to be, we will fulfill a purpose that no government agency, no business, no social service can do. Lives will be built on solid foundation of truth, love, and grace. People will be kinder to others and transform the world around to the, to the way of peace. Loneliness will be placed with, replaced with community. Hopelessness absorbed by hope brokenness exchanged by healing if we are what we are born to be spiritual bankruptcy will yield its way to the abundant spirit-filled lives if we're born to to be what we are what we are born to be if, if we are what we're born to be many will come to know that the lord 
and that they have access to the Lord and he himself hears and listens to their prayers and responds in his love in the way that he feels we need to be responded to. If we are what we are born to be, those who are lacking the essential physical needs will be blessed with them by the Christians, by the Marian Methodists. Only the church, only the church can completely fulfill these purposes. And when we do, that's when we become the hope of the world. Let us pray. Oh God, strengthen all that we are. Strengthen we who call ourselves Marian Methodists to be devoted to the teachings of our brothers, the apostles, to the fellowship of the church, to the sharing of lives with one another, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer and the fruitful and faithful giving to those in need. These are our prayers this day, God. Let us be in your church, the hope of the world. In advance of that, thank you, Jesus. Amen.